You're listening to the Eucharist Church Sermon Podcast, coming to you from downtown Hamilton, Ontario, in beautiful, sunny Canada. We are a 10-year-old church that is currently meeting online due to COVID, which isn't our favorite way to gather, but it does mean that you can join us from wherever you are if you're interested in connecting with our community. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for a 30-minute check-in time, and on Wednesday evenings for a 60-minute service, followed by an optional half-hour breakout room in which different groups connect and discuss what it means to put this faith into practice together. You can find out more by visiting eucharistchurch.ca, but for now, let's get into the teaching. Peace of Christ. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Last week was uh, remembering the ascension, the moment that Christ left this physical realm, left these limited dimensions, and in some way, transcended into the eternal, into the cosmic, into that which cannot be perceived only with our five senses. And yet he told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem until they were given power from on high. So I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, what immediately happened after that. And then I'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, if you'd like to read along. Acts chapter 1. Then they, that is the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Mount of the Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's walk away. And when they came in, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomeus and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, These devoted themselves constantly to prayer, with a shared intensity of feeling, together with the women, and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now in chapter 2. And when the day arrived, that completed the 50 after Passover, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came a noise like a turbulent wind born out of the sky, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared before them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest one one each upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them to utter Now dwelling in Jerusalem were devout Judeans from every nation under the sky. And on the advent of this noise, the multitude gathered and were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Look, are not all who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears in his own language? the language in which we were raised, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those living in Mesopotamia, both Judean and Cappadocian, Pontus and Asia, Phygra and Phamalia, Egypt and the parts of Libya next to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Judeans and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them declaring the great deeds of God in our tongues, and all were amazed and entirely at a loss, 
saying to another, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others ridiculed them, saying, they are full of sweet new wine. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so here we have it, finally, after this road into Easter, after the Easter uh, triumph and crucifixion, after the resurrection, after all the accounts, after meeting Christ in his post-resurrection, learning for 40 days, we finally have it. Do you feel it? The time is now. They finally, beloved, they finally get it. <laughs> it's so long. It was, it's been like eight weeks. They finally get what they could never understand in Christ's life when he was alive, what they could never understand when he was standing before them physically. They kept getting drawn back to their little narratives, their little stories about how they expected it to go, these stories of physical victory and who has what land and who has what power and who has right and who is wrong. And now, finally, that's all being shattered. Just last week, we read them saying, is now the time you're going to return the kingdom to Israel? Now, finally, is this the moment when we get to win? But no, they still missed it. And now the Holy Spirit descends on them. And just think, what would that room be like? You're huddled in there. You're praying. And you know, their praying isn't them saying all day, Lord, and I really pray for my grandma, and I pray for people to have food, and I pray for... They're not just speaking all day, but they're sitting. They're waiting. They're praying in their hearts, in their minds. They are meditating. They are waiting for this moment. And what are they waiting for? They don't even know. Power from on high, whatever that means. And yet they've been waiting and waiting and praying with this increased fervor and they're eating together, and they're sitting together, and they're scared, and they don't know, are the, are the Roman rulers going to burst into this room and arrest us? Are they going to crucify us like they crucified Jesus? What is going to happen? They're scared. They're shut up. The windows are pulled down. The doors are locked. And then all of a sudden, I was telling this story to my daughter today as I was reading it from our kids' Bible. You got to really do it with actions, like to really get it. You got to picture this like the windows burst open and wind, boom. And what does that feel like? What does that mean? I have no idea. Suddenly they sense these flames. I don't know if this is a physical description, a description of what they sensed in their, in their souls. I don't know, but there's this wind and there's this flame and all of a sudden everything clicks together. <gasps> oh, aha, aha. This is cosmic in scale. This is the reconciliation of all things. This is Christ. He is the sign of all things being brought back together. It's all finally happening. They become completely overwhelmed by this feeling in them. Their hearts are burning. Have you ever felt it? Those moments that everything makes sense, where everything clicks, where you feel like your heart is on fire and you know it's true because it leads immediately to action. They run out the door. They start telling everyone. And as they speak to each person, each one hears it in their own language, which is one of the most gorgeous lines in scripture, because I don't think this is just referring to the language that we speak, but that the spirit of God, when the spirit is truly coming to us, speaks to us each in our own language, from our own stories, in a way that we can understand in a way that is distinctly personal while also being distinctly communal. And suddenly the whole story of God makes sense. 
The whole life of Christ makes sense. In a single aha moment, all things tie together. The Holy Spirit has come. So here's a nice question we like to ask. What did they do to make the Holy Spirit come? You know, I'd like a nice Christian book that gives me like a five-step instruction. Here's how to receive the Holy Spirit. Step one, uh, witness your best friend crucified. Step, okay, it doesn't necessarily translate. You know, like, what, what do you do to make this happen? What did they do? It's easier to tell you what they didn't do. They didn't go out searching for the Holy Spirit everywhere. They didn't try to muster the spirit up by getting really excited and yelling and cheering and clapping and trying to make themselves feel energized. They didn't need some sort of prayer streak. Like remember back in Snapchat in the days where you, if you did a Snapchat and you got it more and more and more, there was like a streak. They didn't have to have like a streak of like 10 days of prayer, consistent prayer. It wasn't something that they were earning. They were praying. They didn't know what they were praying for. It was just all of a sudden the spirit came to them and everything clicked. Aha! Quick hands up from those of you with your video screens on. Have you ever had an aha moment? A moment where you can throw your hands up, where just things start clicking, things start making sense. Okay, okay, good, good. We're testifying to this. So if you've had an aha moment, I don't know exactly what it felt like for you, but I can say that in my experience, it feels distinctly like something outside of me that is making sense of something inside of me. Does that make any sense? It doesn't feel like something I mustered my energy to. It doesn't feel like something I thought my way to. It feels like something came to me and strangely something within me rose up to meet it. And in that connection, there was a resonance at this highest level of understanding what I'm here for. I don't know how else to describe it except to say, on the one hand, it is beautiful because it feels like a gift. It feels like grace. It feels like something unearned. But on the other hand, aren't those moments just so annoying? (laughs) Like uh, at some level, I find these moments of clarity, of spiritual clarity, of transformation, of aha, so frustrating because I don't know, I like being in control. I like being in control. I like things being scheduled. I like things being predictable. I like things being consumable. I like to know that if I have the time and money, I can get what I want. You know, I'd be one of those people. Can I buy the Holy Spirit? Can you put the Holy Spirit on my timeline? I like control. All right, if you've ever read nonfiction self-help books, you flip to the back and it says usually something like, by the end of this book, you will learn how to master your time and efficiency, how to make people like you and not give you that weird eye in the grocery store line. You know, like you would get these clear instructions. This is what the book will teach you. Or you listen to an educational podcast and they say, throughout this podcast, we're going to hear da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This is what it's going to look like. And you go, ooh, good, expectations, a little bit of control. And that's fine at some level. At some level, when it comes to physically working through ideas or trying to think through ideas, maybe some control is okay. If I'm fixing a leaky pipe, the last thing I want is mystery. You know, if I load up a YouTube video to fix a leaking pipe and it says, by the end of this, you're going to be drawn fuller into the mystery. I'm fine. I just need to know how to fix a pipe. So sure, in the realm of the physical, knowledge is good and has its place. Control has its place. But for the spiritual life, or another way to put that, for the interior life, for the life that we live out of, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Our effort doesn't get us closer 
to transformation. If I'm being completely honest, our attempts to control things can actually make it worse. Now, God works in secret and in silence and in darkness. It's a quote by the psychologist and theologian Gerald May. He writes, God has to work in the soul, in secret and in darkness. Because if we fully knew what was happening and what it will eventually ask of us, we would either try to take charge or stop the whole process. I'm going to write that there in the chat. Oops, direct message that to somebody. That's not helpful. There's the quote in the chat if you're interested in reading. I'll read it one more time. He says, God has to work in the soul. And if soul for you is a foreign word, the literal Greek word for soul is the word psyche. And for some people that can be, for me, that can be a helpful translation. God has to work in the psyche, in secret and in darkness. Because if we fully knew what was happening and what it will eventually ask of us, we would either try to take charge or stop the whole process. That is why they need the upper room. That is why they have to go and sit and wait in darkness and in prayer. Because what God is going to do requires that they get out of the way. This idea is foolishness to our world. It is an insult to our sense of effort, to our sense of righteousness, to our quick fixes. We want quick results. We want to tell God what to do. We want God to show us the problem so we will fix it. But most of us can testify to some time in our life where our effort did nothing to move things along and we had to simply wait. And in my experience, these moments where we have no power and we have to wait are often the most meaningful moments in our life. When I was in college, my grandpa was dying, and uh, I was in college in Hamilton, and my grandpa was out in Winnipeg, and we had this really beautiful time where everyone in the family just flew to Winnipeg, and we like all got rooms on the same hotel floor, and we were just all there, and we went and saw grandpa in the hospital, and he was going to die any day now, and we were like, you know, this is so beautiful. We're all together. We're in the hospital. We're just going to wait this out, and we waited a day, and he didn't die, and we waited two days, and we were eating together and hanging out late. So good, and Three days, yeah, this is great. And five days, yeah, this is great. And then it had been a week. And there was a certain point where we were like, are we going to like just stay here forever? Are we? Should we be packing up and going home and coming back? Is he going to die soon? And I remember my parents, I was in college, so they were paying for everything. And, you know, we were like, this is starting to add up, you know, like a week and a half in a hotel room eating out three meals a day for all these kids and all this family, you know, this is a little crazy. And so my grandpa was feeling the tension of this as well. Good, responsible guy. So one day we were sitting there holding his hands and he was like, I, this is so boring. I just can't die. I'm ready to go. I've got my family here. I'm keeping you all in this hotel. And he just said, all right, I got it. This is it. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to die now. And he looked at my dad and I he said, this is it. I'm dying now. Here I go. I'm going to die. Good night. I'm dead. Oh, I just can't die. <laughs> and he just lay back and shut up. I can't die. And I was like, yeah, you can't rush this. You can't die. I didn't feel that again until my wife was pregnant with our first daughter. 
And we were sitting around. She had taken an early mat leave and it was two weeks out. And we went, great, this baby's coming any day now, any day now. And a week passed and we thought, this baby's coming any day now. And then it hit the due date and we were like, this baby's coming any day now. And then it was a week after the due date. And you're like, let's get milkshakes. I think that's a thing. Let's get some, what, Chinese food? You're just making things up. You're eating what you want. And you, you've got your bags packed to the door. You're going, when is this going to happen? How can we force this along? Surely there's some way we can move this birth along. But in those liminal spaces, those moments where you're waiting for death or for life, those moments, uh, I've seen others encounter this in physical disabilities or challenges that knock them out. I'm thinking here of the many, many, many uh, mystics I know that have started with a brain concussion (laughs) who begin to have to do nothing for a while before they realize that the nothing is the something And I'm thinking of all of us in COVID, all of us who have been stuck waiting maybe for the first time in our life. And the recognition that these moments of waiting, if we are to trust the book of Acts, if we are to trust the story of Christ, these times of waiting are when we actually engage in the deeper, more radical change that God wants to bring about. Not a superficial change, but a holistic change down to the roots. If we accept the limitation, if we accept the lack of control, the darkness, if we allow the Holy Spirit to enter that small dark room inside of each of us, there will be a total transformation of the heart, a total transformation of the mind, a total transformation of the psyche or the soul if we can just wait patiently. I've been able to do a kid's table lately, and it's been the best. I've been teaching the older kids at kid's table, and it's now the highlight of my week because they're just so inquisitive and curious and joyful and funny. They're very funny. And we were talking about change, and I was asking them, do you know any animals that change in the animal kingdom? What animals change? And one of the kids put up her hand and she said, chameleons. And it was like, yeah, chameleons change. They go into a new environment and they can change the outside of their skin in order to blend into that environment. And another kid said, a a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. So I was asking them, you know, what are the differences? And they were talking about how the chameleon, you know, does this surface change. And surface change has its place. You're probably a slightly different person at work and a slightly different person with your family and a slightly different person with your friends. And that's okay. That has its place. But the transformation of the Holy Spirit is not a chameleon transformation. It is not a changing of your political party. It is not a changing of the language that you use. It's not a changing even of what you do with your time. The transformation of the Holy Spirit is a radical to the root transformation that sounds a lot more like a butterfly, like a caterpillar that has to take a position and doesn't have to do anything to change. It just has to receive that change. And in that cocoon, it is taken completely apart. Do any of you feel like in the last year, you have been taken completely apart? Like everything you used to use to make sense of the world has been turned into some sort of gooey, gushy something. And there's like a little cocoon, your house, your body, your bubble, some little space that you get to live in. But boy, is it a tiny space and everything inside of you is being shifted and reformed and rebuilt. It's no wonder 
that the caterpillar into the butterfly has been used again and again as a symbol of spiritual transformation. And in our time of corporate cocooning this last COVID season, perhaps the butterfly is again a fitting image to meditate on. Let's go back to that question from earlier. What What did the disciples do to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, what does the caterpillar do to produce change? It does nothing at all. Nothing at all. It's not what it does that changes it, but what it doesn't do. The caterpillar doesn't run around trying to busy itself. The caterpillar doesn't try to read a whole bunch of books to try to understand what's going to be happening. The caterpillar doesn't need to figure this all out. In fact, it just needs to stop moving. I don't know if any of you have seen those pictures of the caterpillar when it stops moving, but it kind of hangs in a J And uh, I heard people refer to this as the J position, which is great because it kind of looks like someone kneeling to pray. Next time you look at a caterpillar, picture someone kneeling down to pray and to be still. What position are you taking this Pentecost? You're taking a posture of openness or a posture of controlling? Are you taking a position of fear or a position of faith and trust? Are you taking in this time a posture of busyness and striving or a posture of patience and waiting? Perhaps like the early church, our posture involves praying together like we are tonight, checking in with those we love, remaining still and together, yeah, but waiting ultimately for the Spirit to do her work. That as we hang in this place, as we are still in this place, as we face the silence and even the boredom of waiting, we remain present. We remain attentive to the process of becoming cocooned. We remain non-anxious as everything that we ever used to look to for meaning and for security is turned into goo, piece by piece. We remain attentive through what is happening, that feeling of deconstruction and reconstruction, the reshaping of our interior life, the discomfort that comes with that change, knowing by faith that this is going somewhere because we have seen in others this process of becoming, it sounds so cheesy and it's so true, that's why you just have to say it, of becoming a butterfly. It is so cheesy, but it's so true of becoming filled with the Holy Spirit. It's so cheesy and it's so true, but this is the description of becoming a saint, a real one, not a hokey one, not one full of Christianese, but truly at the interior level, becoming filled with the life of Christ, which Christians call the Holy Spirit. By way of contrast, The last time I remember this discomfort of waiting, Uh, well, it was COVID, but before that, there was one other time, waiting for our second child to be born, Oscar. And unlike that first transformation with our firstborn, the weeks leading up to Oscar's birth were totally different because we understood that we couldn't move it along. And so we just had to wait. And every day we'd wake up and say, what do we do today? We'll go for a walk. We'll eat. Well, what if the baby comes? If the baby comes, the baby comes. 
When will the baby come? When the baby comes, the baby comes. It is not for you to know the times and dates that the father has set by his own will. It is your job to wake up today and be attentive. It is your job to wake up today and be present. It is your job to wake up today and wait for that presence that will bring the aha of God. Amen. want to just give us all a moment here, a minute, to ask the Holy Spirit, who is ultimately the only one whose opinion matters here. This sermon is just here to set up a conversation between you and God and you and one another in our breakout rooms. So I invite you to take a moment to ask the Spirit if there's an image, a line, uh, a reflection, a metaphor in the text or the sermon today that you need to chew on and sit with and marinate in while the Spirit does the Spirit's work. I'll invite you to take a minute to do that and then we'll be led in the prayers of the people. 